When I have the privilege of uh, doing uh, premarital counseling with a couple, I almost always have them read the same book. And it's a book that I have found helpful in my own marriage. And the point of the book is to help the couple recognize that they're growing up and the family of origin, their family of origin, shapes the way that they relate to their new spouse. It is at the same time relieving to them and stressful to them, I think, that many of the assumptions that they had about how this is going to work and how wonderful it's going to be are shaped by their family of origin. And while the connection between the family you grew up in and the family that you're hoping to form when you're about to get married, hopefully that's somewhat obvious once you think about it, you really do have a similar kind of connection between your family, family of origin maybe, and the church. Your experiences in your family and what you've come to expect from people who are close to you shapes your experience with the people of God. The people that you're close to in your family believe in you, they listen to you, if they're supportive of you, that shapes your interaction with the people of God. If they were critical of you or distant from you or any of those things, that too shapes your experience with the people of God. And so this morning I want to um, connect, I want to connect your vision for your family and Jesus' vision for the church. I want to connect the dots between what you have learned and are learning and are practicing in your families and what the family of God acts like. And so in order to do that, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, um, beginning in verse 46, we'll read to the end of the chapter, but Matthew Chapter 12 concludes a series of really unusual miracles that Jesus has done to establish that he is, in fact, the Son of God. He is, in fact, the Messiah, and that he is the one that we each must deal with if we are, uh, have any hope of dealing with, with God himself. So Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 46. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak with him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mothers and here's my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will 
of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so here we see Jesus interacting with his own family and doing it in a way that redefines uh, the family in terms of doing God's will. He redefines what it means to belong to a people who are committed to God and to doing his will. One of the uh, uh, one of the corollaries of what happens in this text is that the kingdom of heaven takes the shape of a family, and so the kingdom of heaven is full of people who are relatives. They are related to God as their father, to Jesus as their brother, and they are related to one another. And I believe that Jesus intends for that relationship, all of those relationships, to change the way that we view the world and the way that we view and treat one another. And so this all begins in verse 46 when the, the physical family or the bio family of Jesus asserts their will. They let us know what they desire. His mother and brother stood outside asking to speak with him. And it's interesting to me that Matthew, Matthew is, I would say, preoccupied. That might be too strong. He is certainly interested in the family of Jesus because Jesus' family it shows up all the way throughout the Gospel of Matthew in ways that it doesn't in the other Gospels. In fact, right here, the presence of Jesus' brackets Chapter 13, which tells us the nature of the kingdom of heaven. It shows up here when Jesus, is, uh, his mother and his brothers are outside, and he says, who are they? But here are my mother and brother and sister. And then they show up at the end of chapter 13 when people are dismissive of Jesus. And the way they're dismissive of Jesus is simply to say... We know him. We know his mom. We know his dad is a carpenter. His brothers and sisters, they're pretty ordinary too. Nothing special about Jesus. And so on both sides of chapter 13, we um, see the family of Jesus. In other words, the, the family brackets the kingdom. I mean, the, all of chapter 13, this is what the kingdom is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a sower. The kingdom of heaven is like um, a treasure. And he goes on to tell us what the kingdom of heaven is like, and it brackets it with the family. In other words, the family intersects the kingdom in unique ways. So whatever the kingdom is like, the family somehow is related to it. And we see this here. Jesus' biological family makes what looks like kind of a vanilla request, right? They, he's, he's there engaged with people. He's speaking to the crowd. They're in some sort of a house. And the family shows up outside and says, 
We'd like to talk to Jesus. I don't know. Maybe they tap somebody on the shoulder and say, Psst, we'd like to talk to Jesus. Can you get his attention for us? I don't know. I doubt that they were making a scene. I, I don't suspect they were like the crowd behind ESPN game day with signs and, you know, all sorts of cheers. I don't think there was probably much going on. It just was normal. What normal families might do, they want to see a member of their family. Now, if you think about it, you don't have to watch very many movies or hear very many stereotypes, really, to recognize that Jewish families are famous for their uh, interference in one another's business, shall we say, their over-the-top involvement in each other's lives. And I suspect you could think that Jesus came from a typical Jewish family in that respect. They were all about each other's business. And here his family comes up and wants to stop what he's doing and have him talk. Now, it wouldn't have been unexpected for him to say, okay, just a minute, let me, let me see what my family wants. I'll get back to you. But what was unexpected was for him just to say, what? Who is my mother and who are my brothers? For Jesus to say, who's outside? That was fairly unexpected in a Jewish family. And so Jesus, by doing that, forces us to ask the question and to answer, what is the relationship between family and the kingdom? How does one relate to their family and to the kingdom in the proper ways? Now, let me simply jump ahead for a moment because Jesus is very clear about where these intersect. His family was desiring to speak with him. They exercised their will about speaking to him. But he wants us to know that the kingdom family, the family of God, is defined not by their will, but by the will of the Father. And so that even if your earthly family, those people who have the greatest claim on you, if they are putting demands on you that are not in line with God's will, then God's will must have precedence. And so that's what's happening here. They're asking to, to, to be with Jesus. Jesus has something else going on that is about the Father's will. And so he just says, who's my mother and who are my brothers. Now, with that, I, I probably should stop just for a moment and address something that should be quite obvious. I hope that you've taken a look at your Bible. So if you, if you have your Bibles open or turned on on your lap, look down there. If you have the ESV version, you'll notice that it goes from, from verse 46 then my, my copy has 47, 48. And there is no 47. If you have an NIV or a King James Version, some other version, you'll have brackets around verse 47. And so there's something going on with verse 47 that uh, because of the way my Bible addressed it by just leaving it blank and going 47, 48, 
I felt I had to say something about it. So here you go. This is a little parenthesis about verse 47. My first, the first thing I want to say about verse 47 is that I think you should commit it to memory. One of the things I always encourage people is to memorize the Bible, and this would be a great place to start. So that if ever somebody wonders, do you know any Bible verses by heart? You can say, well, yes. I know Matthew 12, 47. And they might say, great, well, how does it go? There you go. I just recited it for you, right? So that's my first piece of advice, is just commit it to memory. There you go. The, the second thing that I would say about verse 47 yeah, even though in my Bible it looked like it's missing, it's not missing. That's why other versions have it in brackets. They know what it would say because the, the, the way that this happened is that verse 47 was there in what manuscripts they had, especially when they translated the King James Version of the Bible and put the numbers in. And they put numbers in and then later they found older manuscripts, ones closer to the original, and verse 47 wasn't in those. And so that's why some have it in brackets and some have it not in brackets. It's absent from the oldest and the best manuscripts. And the, one of the general rules is if you're undecided, you go with the simpler reading thinking that somebody would have said, oh, his mother and brothers are outside. He said to the one who told him, nobody told him, we should like fill in the blank for people's imaginations. And that's where people think verse 47 came from. Well, the other thing that I would say about that is that verse 47, as you look at it, should give you confidence in your Bible. Not the other way around. Because what verse 47 means to you is that you can assess the authenticity of every single verse that's in your Bible. That every verse in your Bible is based on a long, uh, several millennia old paper trail. In other words, we have lots of historical evidence about our, the, the book that we uh, trust, and it tells us that it wasn't in these early ones, showed up in the later ones, and then we say, how did it get there? Well, probably somebody tried to smooth it out. So some versions leave it blank. Some versions put it in brackets. We know exactly what was there uh, originally. Now, that should cause you to trust your Bible rather than to distrust it. And if it's any kind of comparison. I had this conversation. I had this conversation on my doorstep with uh, a couple Mormon missionaries. And I said, well, tell me about your scriptures. Well, they were written on golden tablets and taken back up to heaven. I said, well, what language were they written in? Some combo of Hebrew and Egyptian. Well, for one, there is no combo of Hebrew and Egyptian. But then I said, well, do you have any manuscript evidence of kind of how it developed over time? Oh, never crossed their minds. In other words, 
they don't have anything like this. This is the kind of thing that, that gives you certainty that, yes, in fact, people are paying very close attention to how we got our Bibles and what is there and what is not there. And what you hold on your lap is very trustworthy. And then finally, if verse 47 was there, not only do we know what it would say, it is pretty redundant. Those of you who have it in brackets will notice that it is essentially uh, a, a repetition that said somebody came to tell Jesus his mother and brothers were there. In other words, even if you disagree with the editors of the ESV version of the Bible and would like to include verse 47, it doesn't add anything, and having it not there doesn't subtract anything because your Bible is trustworthy as it sits there on your lap. So, for what it's worth, that's a little parenthesis about verse 47. Um, I don't have to do that very often. Really, in 30 years of doing this, I've, this is probably only a second uh, time I've ever had to explain it. In other words, there aren't very many verses in your Bible that are like this. So, anyway, that's the end of the parenthesis. Back to the topic at hand. What is it about the family that Jesus wants to characterize his kingdom? Ultimately, this kingdom family is determined, it is focused on the will of the Father. I love the way that this went down because the room was full, there was a crowd, the family shows up outside, Jesus says, who's, or, who's my mother and who are my brothers? And then he said, are you ready? Whoosh. Here are my mother and my sister and my brother. Here. And he motions with his hand. And he doesn't, I don't think he motions the whole room like I just did. I was cheating. I, I should give it, I should just motion to the people on this side of the aisle who had to sing the long verses when I just sang we do over here. There you go. These are my mother and my brothers. That's the way that that went down. Now, I don't know how they were sitting in this room or standing in this room or what the room looked like, but there was a crowd and then there were disciples. And I don't know, maybe they had their own bleachers right next to the gym floor here. And they were all self-identified and just said, here they are. My guess is they were sprinkled throughout part of the room he waved his hand, and I can imagine some people there saying, was he pointing to me? Am I in? Am I out? Was, was I included? And so Jesus clarified even further, didn't he? He said, the people who are my mother and my brother and my sister are those who do the will of my Father in heaven. They do the will of my Father in heaven. I, I think we have the same issue now. There are people who think they're in, like they got included somehow in the swoosh of the hand, when in fact they're not in. And others may worry that they are not in when they really are, in fact, part of the family. And so what is the determining factor there? What is it that makes them certain that they are in or that they're not in. And so I think this is important because so many people, and you hear about this kind of all the time, people have bad experience with church. 
And some of them will even tag it to this point, like they're a dysfunctional family. And some of what happens, I think, is there are people who think they're in when, in fact, they're not. Because their interest is not in doing the will of the Father. Their interest is in doing their own thing or doing something else or having some sort of power or say or whatever you may, uh, however you may want to parse that. But the determining factor for who's in and who's out is are they committed to the will of the Father? It is the will of God that makes them in, not out. It's not what they know about God. It's not what they doctrine they claim to agree with that makes them in or out. It's not what side of the political aisle they're on that makes them in or out. It's whether or not they do the will of the Father. And so a couple other things here that we need to think about with regard to this family. One is that Jesus is really clear, as Matthew tells the story, that the family is outside and the new family is inside. That the good news that Jesus came to bring, this kingdom that you and I are invited to be part of, is not the same as family. The good news is not family. Family is not Good news. In other words, I want you to have a happy family. But that is not the point of what Jesus is doing in the world. In fact, I imagine his mom was a little miffed at him in this uh, instance. The spiritual family is not a substitute or a replacement for a biological family. Jesus is not trying to supplant it here. The family is still present. In fact, they show up again at the end of chapter 13. So what Jesus is trying to do is help us to see what is the nature of this new family. I remember talking to someone really telling them about Jesus. And they simply said, I don't want to hear it. I believe in family. And I think it's very easy for people to say the most meaningful thing in their life is family, so they don't need something more meaningful than that, namely Jesus and his family. The other thing that Jesus is um, trying to make clear here is that he is not centralizing the family. In fact, if you think about it, the family is outside. His family is outside. His new family, his kingdom family is on the inside. To say you're going to have this, the family be central in the church is the opposite of how Jesus handles his own family in this instance. The church is not here to support the family. The church is to create a new family. And this is hard for me to talk about because the church as I grew up in it 
has spent much of its energy trying to figure out how to relate to and support the family. I went to conferences that were to teach me principles for functioning in the family. I listened to radio programs that told me to focus on the family. And many of you did as well. But the reality is that what Jesus is doing here is he, is he is acknowledging the reality of the biological family and he is redefining the centrality here of his kingdom family. And so it makes me ask some kind of as many questions as I can about this. In what ways then is the kingdom of heaven like a family? How does the kingdom turn into a family? How can Jesus, with his mother and brothers outside, say, here, these people who do the will of my father are my mother, sister, and brother? How can he say that? Well, the first thing that I would say about that is that Jesus declares it so. Jesus just simply said, this new thing is going to be like a family. The second thing that he makes extremely clear is that the will of our Father in heaven is the thing that defines the family. So our interest in, in our commitment to what God wants done in the world, defines the family. Like your bio family uh, shapes your allegiances, so now too this kingdom family will shape what you are loyal to and what is important to you. And then very simply, being related to the Father connects us all as family to one another as well. Now, I'm using the word family fairly liberally in this message. And I recognize, and I want you to recognize, that that hits every single one of us a little bit differently. And what we hear when we hear the word family is we hear, what was it like in my family? So if you had an absent father, for us to talk about God as your father is, at worst, awful, and at best, something that doesn't really click very clearly for you. And in fact, when I talk about family, it has the same effect. We think of our family and all of the dysfunctions that we associate with that word um, come up in our minds and we import those dysfunctions then into the family of Jesus. And if you think about that, at this scale, <laughs> it really is a problem. So it caused me to, rather than to dwell on the dysfunctions, let me just take a step back and say, what was it about family that Jesus was encouraging here when he compared the kingdom and kingdom people to a family? Now, I don't... I didn't try and create a, a biblical list. I didn't try and create an exhaustive list. But I did try and identify a few things that I think 
would fit what Jesus was trying to do with uh, his understanding that here are my here is my brother and my sister and my mother, these people who do the will of God. And so one of the things I think he is doing is that he, I think he recognizes that family is the place where you form your identity. Who you are is shaped by where you come from and by how you grew up and by your family. You identify with your family. You share not only maybe a name in common, but you share traditions and you share stories and you share space and you share all these things. And who you become really rises out of your family. And in the same way, I would expect that, I know for a fact, that if you read the book of Matthew, Jesus is trying to shape the identity of the people who live in this kingdom to be unique from the people who live in this world. Because the identity is different, like it is in a family. One of the things about a family that I think Jesus is um, capitalizing on here is that family is the place where your loyalty resides. You are loyal to your family. I hope you're loyal to your family. It's good to be loyal to your family. Um, However, we all know of situations where family loyalty trumps common sense, where family loyalty overruns what is normal or what would otherwise be acceptable. I mean, the Hatfields and McCoys defended family. They were loyal, weren't they? Um, As you know those traditions. Until they forgot what they were fighting about. They were simply fighting to be loyal to family. And so family shapes your identity. Family has to do with loyalty. One of the things, family, if you think about it, is the place where training takes place. One of the things that needs to happen in every family is that Children are trained, and regardless of whether they're trained intentionally, they are trained. You learn your manners at home, or your lack thereof, don't you? You learn how to relate to people. You learn hospitality. You learn how to keep up a garden. You learn hundreds of other things. Some you learn because somebody made you learn them. They trained you. Sometimes you just pick it up. But family is a place where the fundamental training of life takes place. I think Jesus understood that very clearly as well, which is what he's trying to do. He's trying to train and inculcate these values and this this way of being in the world. And that's why we have the Sermon on the Mount. That's why we have this book of Matthew. This is why we have what Jesus is teaching us so that we too are trained into these kind of kingdom people that Jesus is trying to develop in this world. Another aspect of family that I would uh, suggest happens with the kingdom is that your family is the focus of celebrations. If you think about, if you think about what a family does, they celebrate together. 
Um, if you had a birthday party, it was probably thrown by somebody in your family. When you graduate, the people in the audience who cheer when you walk across the platform, those are family members. It's family that celebrates together. Now, they invite other people in, which is great, but they celebrate together. That's what the, the family of God does as well. That's why we gather every single Sunday morning to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. The very thing that invites us into this family, we celebrate, and we remind ourselves of this, don't we? Because that's what family does. The family is supposed to be the place where you are loved and accepted for who you are. Family should be one of those places you don't have to earn love, where you don't have to prove yourself in order to be part of the family. Now, I know several of us grew up in homes where it didn't feel that way. But I do think that's the ideal here. Jesus very clearly is showing the family. That's what this family does. We love one another. This is how all men will know that you are my disciples by your love one for another. It's the very thing I mentioned training. It's what parents have to train their kids to do, isn't it? They don't naturally get along. They naturally fight over toys. That's part of what has to happen as the family matures. A family has roles that need to not be necessarily goofed up. Same thing in the family of God. It's, there are many churches where the, there's confusion about who the father is. Is the pastor the father? Is the pastor the one who calls all the shots and is authoritative? And we import some of those misunderstandings and problems into the household of the church. When in fact Jesus is extremely clear here about who the father is and how he's the one who calls the shots in the family. And so this relationship and submission to the Father is part of what defines a family for Jesus as well. All of this to say, the celebrations, the training, all of the identity, all of the loyalty, all of this is to suggest that for this to work for us as a metaphor of what it means to be the people who belong to Jesus and live in his kingdom means that we need a robust vision for the family that then we apply to the kingdom of God. We can't merely say, I like it to be so, therefore the family of Jesus has to be this way. We can't import our family dysfunctions and hope that the family of God will turn out to be happy. I think that God really does see an overlap here in the family, my family and the family of God, or the family, your family and the family of God. In other words, the values and the outlook on life and the way that we treat each other, 
is defined by Jesus here in the book of Matthew. It's defined by Jesus in the Beatitudes. Wouldn't, I mean, I, even when we were in Matthew 5, I said this very same thing. Wouldn't it be great if the people close to you were pure in heart and poor in spirit and meek and peacemakers and all of those things. That's how Jesus wants this kingdom family to be. But what if that trickled down into all of our families? Wouldn't they be great places to live? Wouldn't they be great uh, embassies for the kingdom in every neighborhood? These values and the vision that Jesus has for his kingdom really do need to in, influence our own families. I will say one other thing which I think is noteworthy, and that is that as Jesus sums this up, he said, the will of the Father is central. He said, here, people who do the will of my Father are my brother my sister, and my mother. And I think it's significant that the last two, my sister and my mother, uh, place the emphasis on women. Because that wouldn't have happened normally in the culture of Jesus. In fact, you'll notice he was told, my mother and brothers are here. Sisters were like subsumed in the sibling brother's label. Even Jesus did the same thing when he said, who are my mother and my brother? But then when he says, the ones who do my will of my father, he does specify, they're my brother and my sister and my mother. In other words, Jesus highlights the importance of women. He wants us to know that he didn't just uh, come for men who would do this or that. He came for all of us. And the sisters are important to Jesus. I want you to hear that and not underestimate that. The Jesus family includes those who um, feel like they belong, it includes those who feel like they don't belong. It, feels, it includes those who feel like they're strong and those who feel like they aren't. And what Jesus is doing is he's saying, your relationship to the Father and your commitment to do his will give you a place at the table. You are part of the family. And I just, I just want to encourage you if the will of the Father is important to you, the place in the family is yours. A full place in the family. And you have to understand that you can't have Jesus in his proper place in your life and have your family above that. You can't get things swapped around. The longer I live, the more I see that there's an interplay between faith and family. I always expected that faith should impact the way that you raise your family and that 
the way you train your children should be influenced by what you believe. No question about that. But today I hope that I've at least lifted the lid and let you see a little bit that your family and your family of origin affects the church. What, happened inside, what happens inside your home influences your experience of what happens in the family of God. And all of us are goofed up in big and in small ways by our families of origin. And we'd all be a little better off if we just admit that. But all of us, as we grow up then, we either live out what we've learned in our families or we compensate for what we've learned in our families. And both can be very destructive. Most of the time we do both of those in ways that we haven't really thought about. And hopefully that this message will be part of what helps you think about your relationship to your family of origin. But even as we do, I just want to remind you that Jesus draws us back to the gospel and to good news because he draws us back to the will of the Father. What is God doing in the world? What is he doing in Jesus Christ that affects me? And that is that he is shaping me and he is shaping my view of the world by what he's doing through Jesus. And my alignment not with my family of origin, not even with the quirkiness of the other people in the room, but my alignment with the Father and what He's doing in the world uh, through Jesus determines whether or not I'm in the family. And then, secondly, it determines whether or not the family works. It's God's will to have Jesus be central in the family. And so if you want to be part of the family of God, you must come to trust and love Jesus. And you can begin that today. You simply can pray and ask God to make you part of His family. Say, I want more than anything to belong to you and to do your will. And that's a simple prayer. It's a simple hope. But it does align your life differently. And if you've done that and that's in your past, I would encourage you to pray again that God would build into you and into your family a desire to do His will and to live by His kingdom values. And that prayer, too, is quite simple. We've already heard it a couple times this morning. You just simply can pray like Jesus prayed. And it aligns you with the will of the Father as part of His family. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, I do ask that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that it would be done in my life as it is in heaven, that it would be done in our church, in our families, as it is in heaven. Father, will you grant us grace? 
where we have been wounded or broken in our families of origin to be healed and to be made right? Would you help us to trust you to find our identities with Christ and not in the other things that would uh, make worse our own dysfunctions? Father, we trust you for your help in this um, project of becoming uh, fully alive human beings in your kingdom. Would you grant us your grace to that end, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.